Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Skorzynski, and you are, in fact, listening to another episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. Now, you've heard a couple incredible stories so far from survivors of the independent Baptist movement, but I also want to start moving into an arena of bringing experts on the show who deal with subjects like uh, abuse counseling, mental health, law enforcement. And one of the experts that I wanted to talk to today is Tiffany Capello. Tiffany is a rapid transformational therapy, hypnotherapist, and mindset coach, and is on a mission to transform the lives of other people the way her life has been changed. She now specializes in helping other people who are being held back in life by anxiety and lack of confidence. Tiffany does come from an independent Baptist background and uh, really noticed the amount of anxiety, the amount of stress, and the emotional and spiritual harm that was found within the independent Baptist movement. And it really pushed her to study and see if there was more to life than living in constant fear. So she began researching. She's now, as I said, certified as a hypnotherapist, as a as a coach, and really helps people understand how to have positive motivations for the things that they do. We talk quite a bit about the different belief systems and thought processes that fuel the IFB movement, uh, what kind of mindsets can lead to abuse and abuse of power. And really, she just shares a lot of really interesting perspectives from her sphere of expertise. And I think you guys are really going to appreciate the conversation. So as always, uh, if you like the episode, feel free to share it, take a screenshot, tag the show. Uh, at PreacherBoys.doc anywhere online. Uh, if you want to go to the website, it's PreacherBoys.doc, D-O-C, PreacherBoysDoc.com. And there's just a lot of ways that you guys can really get involved in supporting. Uh, but the main thing you can do is share the episode and, of course, leave a five-star review on iTunes. The more ratings, the more chances it's going to bump up in the algorithm and be seen by more people and we can see more people get helped by the content that's provided here. So if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Please share it with your friends. Tag someone on social. Tag us on social uh, at Preacher Boys Doc, and we'd love to hear from you. But for now, let's enjoy the interview with Tiffany. My topic I would like to discuss from the standpoint of what I do for a living now, which is coaching and therapy, mm-hmm. um, what particularly interests me is not as much the physical sexual abuse that goes on, but the psychological abuse that goes on by despotic type of leadership that we see within fundamentalism. And particularly how um, there's just these core life principles, these core beliefs that people need to have to be psychologically healthy. Right. Um, and 
the fundamentalist belief system, the doctrine is exactly opposite of what we need to believe to be in a good state of mental and emotional health. So that particularly interests me. Um, so I, I feel that just the doctrine itself is abusive. Hmm. Um, and then it leads to, because you become like the God you serve. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase and I don't remember who coined that phrase. Um, you know, in essence, the, the entire population, if they're really embracing the theology of fundamentalism, is going to become abusive in the way they view other people. Um, and if they propagate that doctrine, they're doing it often in a psychologically abusive way. And particularly what interests me is when you adopt that theology and mindset and then you propagate that onto your children, you become, you know, an abusive parent, which I was. Um, so it, it takes a lot of guts for me to be able to say, yes, I was an abusive parent. Um, but by any extent of, of the, the word, I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat my parenting strategies and, and make myself or anyone else feel better about the kind of parenting practices that go on within mentalism. So particularly, I have six children. Um, I've had 10 pregnancies and six children, so I'm the poster size, a large fam homeschooling family mom. And, um, you know, I did carry on um, abusive practices within my home, which I'm now extremely ashamed of, particularly against my one strong-willed child that the, the pastor had a vendetta against. Um, he wasn't representing our church well. And um, so part of my amends that I make to him at this time is speaking out against what goes on within the fundamentalist movements and how parents are trained to teach and train their children. So, so for context, um, can you talk just a little bit about, you know, what your introduction to the independent Baptist movement was, and then um, just kind of how you got involved? Was it something you were raised in? Is it something that you came to as an adult or what was that kind of trajectory for you? Well, it's interesting because I jokingly say that I was raised in the first church of Harley Davidson. So I was not raised in Christianity at all. And uh, my mom was and is an alcoholic. So when I got married, I had it in my mind that I wasn't real clear on what good parenting looked like, on what it meant to be a wife. And being somewhat religious at that time, I thought, well, who better to ask than God, right? He should know. So I, I sought out the church in order to find my way and be a really good mom. So my motive and intention was very good. And then if you've ever heard the uh, phrase, a, a frog slowly boiling in water, you know, the right. frog gets into the pot and if the pot is he heated up gradually, um, then he'll boil to death without knowing. And that's kind of what happened to me. So I just, we just ended up moving uh, as a family into increasingly more conservative churches. Um, so we ended up in the Baptist and then we ended up in uh, what's called the charity movement, which um, probably has the IFB uh, beat for cultic elements. Um, and then it was more like an almost a Mennonite type group. And then moving into the Baptist and then finally the independent fundamental Baptist. And I just kept jumping from the frying pan into bigger and bigger fires until I ended up in a church that was 
had every element of being a cult, according to you know what the psychological uh, experts on cults would would term a cult. So, how would you define a cult? So, I, I know I shared a few weeks ago uh, a graphic from um, I believe his name his first name is Steve, but Steve Hassan, who's the cult expert, and the characteristics he named can be found within a lot of independent Baptist churches. But when you say it was cultish, what are you referring to specifically? Um, well, it's interesting because in Christianity, they view a cult as anything that doesn't teach the way we teach. <laughs> but to me, a cult is, is a very controlling, where the pastor, the leadership is very controlling um, and very oppressive. So my pastor would actually call out people publicly from the pulpit without using their name but in a small congregation you knew exactly who who was being called out and the sermon would be basically you know the anti-tiffany sermon for the day <laughs> you know and and um very controlling very psychologically manipulative um within that group i began and, and many of the members and particularly myself and my teenage daughter began to suffer from um, psychological symptoms. And I think if you look within a congregation and you look around, you see a large degree, especially among women, of depression, of anxiety, of stress-related health disorders. Um, the one pastor at one church I was at, he used to, to say the name of the church, and then he'd say, good for the soul and bad for the body, <laughs> because so many people were sick. And and I would look around and go, something's wrong with this. Something's right. right, you know. So what? So what was that? Was that the first trigger to kind of make you say, "Hey, something's not right here"? And and what? How long were you in it until that kind of change happened, where you said, "You know, something's kind of fishy here." Yeah. Well, I I got started going into the church heavily. Um, when I first got married. So that was, oh gosh, I'm 50 and I was like 22. Um, and even then I got into a cultic form of Christianity. I consider most churches to be cultic and most and a lot of standard Orthodox doctrine to be psychologically damaging. Um, that's where I'm at now. But what happened was I started to notice the amount of anxiety I had just kept rising until I could easily have been diagnosed with a clinical depression and an anxiety disorder. But it happened so gradually, and fear was just a theme of a lot of the preaching and a lot of the talk that went on in the church. Right. But my daughter, who's now 25, was um, about 11 and a half. She came down with OCD, um, and she had what's called religious OCD. So, um, and she had harm OCD and other forms of OCD where she constantly obsessed over, did I believe right? Um, did I, am I saved by grace or did I think that my prayer was a work? So anyone who's in that kind of movement will understand that um, there's almost like a cognitive dissonance that occurs because the Bible really isn't, doesn't have a coherent theme and it's not clear. And so we would search the scriptures trying to find answers. And the more she searched, the worse it got. And um, in the group that I was in, a psychologist or a psychiatrist was considered a, you know, a, a 
a servant of Satan. So you right. didn't go, yeah, you didn't go to this community for help. So I was forced as a mom, I said, I can't stand to see my daughter suffering. I mean, she obsessed and would sometimes get so stressed, she would actually break with reality. And I couldn't get any help for her. Um, and I, my husband was very, we're divorced now, but he was very much, you know, wanting to do what the church said at the time. So again, there was no support as far as going to see a psychologist. So I found Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz out in California and he, he and I learned from him how to reframe the mind, the thinking processes to beat OCD. But watching my daughter suffer, I was forced into a state of cognitive dissonance where I'm saying it appears that what we believe is causing this mental and emotional issue with myself and my daughter but how could it be wrong because I go to the only right church because that's what we taught which is another aspect of being in a cult you know that our group of IFB churches we've got it together we have the truth and even other IFB churches don't have it and especially not the rest of those Baptists. And then, of course, if you're Catholic or any other religion, you're, you've got a straight ticket to hell. So um, there were, and there were just several um, core doctrines I began to see within the Christian movement that were the opposite of what you need to believe and have in your head to have um, good mental and emotional health. So as I'm trying to recover from my own anxiety and depression, trying to help my daughter, trying to deal with my very, very belligerent son, um, who was reacting to the environment he was in, um, I started to say, okay, what does a person who is happy and at peace, what do they believe? How do they think? How do they live that's, that's different? Because I'm obviously not living this way and the bible says the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness i can still quote these verses and i'm looking around me and i'm going i see none of this <laughs> i see angry judgmental mean people who are all unhappy the women in particular were extremely stressed um and extremely sickly and we're having one child after the other trying to homeschool and um, I started to uh, basically what I call bibliotherapy, read books. And at first I read the liberal Christian books. And then I read, started becoming bolder because I dismantled in my mind the doctrine of hell. And once I dismantled that doctrine, I was no longer walking under this umbrella of fear all the time. And I was free to really explore because I thought, okay, I don't have to worry about going to hell. If I read books by, you know, Richard Dawkins or somebody like that. And so um, my, my particular interest was psychology and just learn positive psychology. And so my first realization that it wasn't me and my daughter and my son, we weren't particularly and profoundly wicked and evil and displeasing to God. You know, I always viewed God was always frowning down on us because we didn't have that love, joy, peace, patience, all those other things we were supposed to be living out in this absolute state of perfection we could not obtain. So, um, you know, it wasn't actually me. It was what I was being taught. And this was actually the root cause of 
the anxiety and depression. And so, and I actually got extremely ill when I was about 34 with chronic fatigue syndrome, which is what I was diagnosed with. I was flat on my back. I had, didn't even have enough energy to wash my own hair. And doctors now know that this is very related to stress. Um, and I was just pushed to the very brink of physical exhaustion from homeschooling, living on a farm, um, and mental exhaustion from being in an atmosphere where all you heard was fear, the world's ending. You know, we're gonna be persecuted. We're, <laughs> you're, you know, you might not really be saved. You might be going to hell. Your kids might burn forever if you're not a perfect mother. You know, that stress just ruined my system. I began to have a lot of health issues that gradually came on. And now I'm flat on my back and all I can do all day is think. And now I'm forced to deal with the cognitive dissonance that I've been kind of pushing to the side for a long time. Yeah, it's definitely funny when, and I've spoken with other, other guests about this, but it's interesting when there is that cognitive dissonance where it's it's Jesus paid it all wonderful grace of Jesus when you're singing and then it turns and transitions into you better make sure that you have all your your eyes dotted and all your t's crossed because something bad's going to happen to you if you take one poor step to the side um so so obviously this this um pursuit for for knowledge kind of led you in your professional direction as well um since you are working in in this kind of realm now what what exactly yeah. is your your field right now just so i can i mean if you can explain it away i'll understand it um the what are you studying exactly and what is it that you have your expertise in right now well it's interesting because um because of what i watched my daughter go through beating ocd um with Jeffrey Schwartz's four-step reframing process. I wasn't allowed to take her to a therapist. So I had to basically take his therapy, Christianize it, put Bible verses with it, and give it to my daughter, who was also very religious. So it was acceptable to my husband, my daughter, the church as a whole. I basically said to the church, you know, look what I discovered in the Bible, <laughs> you know? And it's just like, it goes right along with the Bible. And it was basically a program that uses neuroplasticity to reframe what's going on in the mind. And then you create new neural connections for new patterns of thought. So um, over the years, once I learned about neuroplasticity, I saw it applied to my daughter. I saw how well she recovered from OCD. It took her about six and a half months um, to beat it using Jeffrey Schwartz's program. Um, I just voraciously read books on neuroplasticity in the brain and changing thinking and positive psychology. And my pastor, taking note of this, actually said to me that I was going to read my way to destruction, <laughs> which hmm. the exact opposite has occurred, actually. I think I would have probably been physically ill to a much greater degree now if I had not read my way out of a cult. Um, but in doing so, I became continually more and more interested. So in about two years, two and a half years ago, I went to train in London with Marissa Peer, who is a famous uh, psychologist out there. 
Um, and I learned hypnosis and a specialized form called rapid transformational therapy. And I've since been trained in NLP um, and coaching. So now I help people to think differently if I had to term it in a real easy to understand way. Um, and I know, you know, there's certain ways that we think and believe about ourselves, about the world, about even a higher power that cause us to suffer. And so what I do in my own personal practice now, particularly for women, is just help them to transform their mind and empower them to rise above circumstances. Um, I particularly do enjoy working with women coming out of religious cults and and religious groups, because you have to reframe the past, you have to reframe the way you think. And just to, to give you an example, you know, within Christianity, we're taught, basically you're born into the world as a wicked, evil sinner. And you're so bad, in fact, that God, having no other choice, had to kill his own son to save you. Because it's your fault that Jesus died on the cross and if you're a woman, you're even more at fault because all the sin came into the world because of you. And, you know, the core foundation of having sound mental and emotional health is that you understand that you're enough just as you are. You know, you're enough. The minute you're born, you're not born evil. You know, you just come into this world um, as this beautiful, tiny child, not a wicked, evil sinner. So you end up with this viewpoint that I am inherently defective from the moment of birth. And this view is going to affect you all your life as you strive towards perfection. And psychologists and researchers know that there's seldom a more dangerous attitude and mindset you could have um, than perfectionism, than expecting having a rigid set of standards that you have to live by. And if you fail, you're constantly beating yourself up, which is where I lived in that state. I remember waking up in the morning, looking in the mirror, thinking about where I was inadequate and just going and just talking to myself and telling myself, you know, you just, you're just, so, you're just such a bad mother. You're just, you know, on and on, I would do this. And, um, you know, it's constantly rehearsing in the mind beliefs and mindsets that are basically tearing yourself down. It's almost like, you know, at some point in your life, when you're a baby, you, you don't believe that you're bad. You don't believe that you can't achieve things. You don't believe you're stupid. At some point in your life, that's programmed in there. And to have, have it programmed in by a preacher or a church is particularly um, damaging because these people are supposed to represent God. Um, and it's, and, and then at some point you pick up, it's like you're being hit over the head with these false words. And at some point you pick up that bat and begin to beat yourself with it. The same words that you've been hearing. So children raised in fundamentalism, you know, um, are just really in, or they're starting out life at a psychological deficit. Um, and I see that I, I run a support group uh, called Former Fundamentalists on Facebook. Um, I think we have close to 600 members now. And one of the common themes is, here's the result in my life of being raised this way. And we've just got a whole slew of people in the group who are really struggling with psychological issues and 
um, depression and anxiety and trying to change their mindset from, from what they used to believe and bring it, you know, out of that. Well, so. it's, it's interesting you brought up the uh, NLP training specifically, because that's something I've been interested in for the probably the last year. Or so I've been in contact with someone who is uh, fairly far along going through that training. And that's something I've actually looked into myself. Um, Cause I think one of the biggest things like, I'm still, I'm still in many ways an Orthodox Christian theologically. There's a lot of beliefs I hold to that are still would be considered fundamental by some, um, mm-hmm. you know, but the the one thing that fascinates me about the independent Baptist movement specifically is that idea of motivation because the, the motivation when it was there was fear, but for the most mm-hmm. part, it wasn't even a, I never thought about my motivations for the first 20 years or so of my life. I never thought, why am I doing this? It was, I'm going to take this action because the man of God said, I need to do this. Or because this authority figure said, I need to do this. Youth pastor said, I need to do this. The guest speaker said, I need to do this. And essentially I just was a billboard and they could paint whatever message they wanted on me. If it was, you need to wear a suit, I wore a suit. If it was, you're going to go to church three times a week, you do that. And so the biggest thing for me, even though I haven't necessarily set aside some core tenets of Christianity, the biggest thing for me that's changed has been, there's a motivation of the things I'm doing. Are they out of love for others and love for God, which is the, what Christ said was the most important thing. And when you look at that and he says, that's the most important thing. And then you have, you know, casual slurs thrown around, or you have just like you said, when you see depression and you see a lack of concern from leadership, that's a lot to unpack. And there's a lot of, you know, as someone who, who believes scripture, like when I looked at what scripture said, even from the way they were shouting at the pulpit, when I was actually reading it myself, I'm like, how are you taking this and saying that? It just didn't make sense to me. And so I think that I think what you're doing with with understanding the mindset is important because that's something that is sorely lacking is is why and and to ask why is like a cardinal sin like you cannot ask why and yeah, yeah I think I think that's almost the most cultish element of that movement is no never at one of their colleges will you see a debate between two different mindsets never in that movement would someone sit down like like even with the things that you just said if i sat down with you in a extreme fundamentalist church it's why are you talking to someone who's going to say dangerous things you know what i mean why would you quote unquote platform someone who's going to talk about this sort of thing and my my belief is that if you have the truth and we all believe we have the truth if you have the truth then you should be able to engage in any conversation with anybody and the the more you talk the more the truth is going to be clear. And so it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to shelter yourself off, to consider yourself a bad person, to, to incriminate someone over like, why are you reading this? You're going to read your way to destruction. And so I think what you're doing is really, really good. And I think that, you know, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, I think you're a lot healthier when you're asking those questions because your, your subconscious is going to ask those questions anyway. And that's what gives you that stress and that, that anxiety 
is that something in the back of your mind saying, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, but you're pushing through and saying, I'm going to do it. Yeah, anyway. it's interesting too, because um, what you said about, you know, you should be able to ask those questions because, and I tell people now, I say, if your faith can't stand up to scrutiny, and it's probably no faith at all, you know? And when I left fundamentalism, you know, I explored so many different things, um, even atheism, agnosticism, you know, and I kind of went through a journey into liberal Christianity to thinking, okay, maybe there is no God, to not being sure, you know, and then back to what I call a healthy spirituality, you know, where I, I actually do believe in God, which makes me kind of rare among ex-fundamentalists. I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't probably call myself a Christian in an orthodox sense, because I understand what people mean by that, and I don't fit that mold. Um, but I do believe my life is guided and directed. Um, and however, and I don't push that down anybody's throat. Um, but um, I have now a healthy mindset, a healthy view of myself and of my own spirituality and what I believe God to be. Um, you know, I believe instead of believing I'm to obtain perfection and that God is always displeased at me and looking down at me and frowning on me, I believe now that we're all on a journey. You know, we are being guided and directed, whether, no matter what you believe, what country you live in, where you're born, whether there's a missionary in your town, you're being guided and directed to increasing levels of truth, you know, and that fear is actually what keeps us from to, to hearing that truth. Because when you're in a state of fear, your brain kind of goes into what I call limbic mode, where you're in survival mode, and it's difficult for you to think logically with the frontal part of your brain. It actually kind of shuts down to a certain extent. And um, you don't find the solutions. You don't find the peace of mind. I believe that that wisdom that we need for life comes to us in a state of peace. And so when you're in a church where they put you in a state of fear all the time, you're just grasping at life trying to get through, you're in defense mode, in fight or flight all the time, as opposed to being in a place of peace where you can seek that guidance and direction, wisdom uh, that you need, you know, for life. And that's the way I live my life now. And it's funny because I wake up sometimes and go, you know, not that my life's perfect, not that I'm always happy, but I'm not ang anxious 124, 24-7. Seven. I'm not depressed on most days. And I wake up and go, my gosh, I, it's hard to even think about what that was like. It's hard to even remember um, just how miserable I was back then, you know, and, and I hope, you know, and, and to some extent, though, my children um, still suffer the repercussions of living within that oppressive environment. Um, the Oh, I'm sorry. I was I was just going to ask, how old are your children now, and how old were they when you left, just for context? Um, my oldest daughter left at about 18. She moved in with a boyfriend, which didn't go over very well. Um, <laughs> um, and and it was, if you talk to her, she'll tell you. It's like, if I didn't get out of there, I felt like I was going to die. You know what I mean? It was smothering right. the life right out of me. And um, so she's been out and just kind of going on the same journey as I have gradually moving out. Then my next son is uh, 23. Um, he'll probably never set foot in a church again for the rest of his life. 
then I have a 20-year-old son, um, and I have an 18-year-old daughter. And those four kids were raised most of their life within fundamentalism. Uh, my oldest daughter was only homeschooled. Um, they suffered many, many repercussions of that from social anxiety because you were told the world out there is evil. Well, now suddenly we're out there in that world. It's hard to just flip that mindset, you know, and make sense of all that. And then I have a 16-year-old son and, um, and I have a 13-year-old daughter and they are the happiest children. <laughs> Their minds just never really grasped on. They were quite young. When we left, I think Bethany was maybe six or seven, and her brother a couple years older. So it's been about it's been about seven years then. Yeah, I would yeah. say I would say, and it's so amazing to see the the happiness, the joy, the life that's in my two youngest kids as compared to just what my older kids have gone through, and having that mindset infused just deeply within them. Right, you almost have an interesting case study to look at of, you know, those within, those who started in it, those who got half of it, and then those who barely yeah. remember it. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a interesting to be able to see that clearly. Cause I know for me for a long time, I felt like I was just crazy because all my friends obviously grew in the same way with me. So like, it was like our only, when we would question something, it was like, what do you think? And then <laughs> depending on, on who you were talking to, you'd get a different answer. But, um, but yeah, it's interesting. So you've got quite a few years of perspective outside of it now, um, and you've kind of answered a couple questions that I was going to ask. But if you were going to talk to someone who is sitting and feels the same way that you felt, they feel anxiety, they feel stress. But if you were to talk to someone who is feeling the same way, what would you say to them? Honestly, the, and this is what I tell my clients, uh, especially the ones who come from oppressive religious backgrounds, and I tell them, um, the truth shall set you free. And it really does. So if it's not setting you free, if it's causing you anxiety and depression and um, you know marital issues, if your family is not thriving, it's probably not the truth. So, but what people tend to do is say, the problem is obviously me because the Bible is inerrant and infallible and that's what they're taught. So, and I'm looking at the scriptures, I'm being told how to interpret them. So therefore, you know, here's what it says. I'm not able to do that. The problem has to be me. And, you know, the problem is not you. The problem is what you believe, you know. Um, and I think we're, we are, the purpose on this earth is for us to live in love, to live in peace, to live in joy, and um, not in fear. So if you're being, if you're always fearful, then there's a problem. And that's the first sign that something is wrong, and that you need to take a serious look at. And it's just, it's a beautiful life once you extricate yourself. And it's, and I won't kid you, it's really difficult to bring yourself out because for me you know that meant a severing of everything i'd known in my community you know we, we made cookies for one another when someone had a baby we brought each other food and i'm stepping out into a world of strangers that i was told were evil and deceived and, right. and you have that in the constant thought you have in your mind is you know um we were always taught the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and so 
you were always warned about deception and how subtle and cunning it was. So there's always in the back of your head, am I deceived? Could it be, you know, um, that I'm one of those, you know, right. people who's destined to be deceived by Satan. And once I got, there's like this, on your journey out, there's these stages you have to go through. And one of them is, is cutting ties with people. And it's not that you want to cut ties. It's that in fundamentalism, they're taught to cut ties with you. And I've seen a lot of people who don't get out because they're afraid. And that's why I created the online community, Former Fundamentalists, because you know I started it with 12 people. And basically, the 12 of us just, we were online every day just supporting one another to get through, you know, being excommunicated, basically. You know, even though they don't use that word in the Baptist church, um, it's an excommunication. But they act it out. Yes, and it is. And it's very difficult because if you're in a cult like IFB type environment, you don't have friends out there. You're not supposed to. You don't have to. any other point of reference, yeah. Yeah, and so you're cutting yourself off from everything you've already known. And it takes an immense amount of courage to do that, but it definitely can be done and it's worth it in the end. You have the trump card of your eternal soul of, is it something that you're doing this because you aren't truly converted? Is it something that you are being deceived? Um, it's, it's how do you argue with that? Of, of we have the direct connection with God that tells us you're doing something wrong, you know? Well, I knew my own heart and I knew the nights I prayed and cried for God's wisdom and guidance. And, and you know, um, one of the reasons I didn't become an atheist in the end is because I can see, and I know in, in the atheist community, they'd tell me, you know, what psychological phenomenon was occurring in my brain when this happened. But I have seen such clear guidance and direction and, um, that there was just to me no denying it. And even today, you know, which I'm considered, you know, anathema by those people. I have a greater level of guidance and direction now than I have ever had. I have a greater level of trust. I couldn't trust the fundamentalist God because the way he was taught, the way he was presented um, was so pathological. It's like trying to trust an abusive husband or an abusive parent. Um, and you could shame the child because you don't trust your father. You don't want to submit to the authority of your father but he's, he's telling you what a loser you are all day. He's beating you. He's looking for every opportunity to bring adversity upon you to teach you something. You know, if that's your view of God, you're not going to trust him. And then when you come down with these anxiety, you know, you become anxiety ridden, you become depressed and you go to the church leadership. What are they going to tell you? You don't love God. You don't love God enough. You don't trust God. And they, they keep putting you down for not trusting God when it's actually psychologically healthy not to trust some people <laughs> because you, you're wired physically not to trust people that are gonna harm you. And you're taught that this, this God up there basically is angry at you, he expects perfection, um, but he loves you. Yeah, he loves you in a sort of sick sort of way, like an abusive parent, <laughs> you know? And it's a no-win situation for people trapped in that and they just keep going. You know, I have uh, one thing I forgot to mention that's very was very pivotal in helping me see how fundamentalism and and unfortunately much of, of Christianity today, even in evangelical churches, um, 
was damaging to people was watching a friend of mine um, slowly deteriorate into a mental illness that she's never come back out of. And I could see how her religious beliefs were damaging her because whether or not your religious beliefs damage you depends on what verses you're looking at and how literally you're taking them. And she was very much a literalist. Her heart was, I want to live and please God. That was her heart. She was my best friend since high school. And I watched her just deteriorate um, by trying to be perfect, by trying to please God, um, by living in constant fear. And the one thing, you know, she's struggling with mental illness that largely came on because of an abusive husband and the stress with that. And now she's being criticized all the time. You don't trust God. You know, you're not walking by faith. You're not. The worst thing you could do to anyone struggling with depression, with anxiety, mental illness is tear them down and make them feel shamed because people do the best they can with the knowledge they have. So if the, when they know to do better, they do better, you know, um, for the most part. So, you know, and I just watched her struggle. And then after I left fundamentalism, she never really did. And we carried on conversation for many years. And I, and I kept telling her, it's your faith that's destroying you. It's not that you have to give up your belief in God, but your view of God is um, pathological to your own mental health. Um, and she's just gotten worse and worse. And it's just, it broke my heart. <clears throat> well, I feel in some ways you've kind of answered this question, but do you believe there's hope for reform of that movement specifically? Or do you feel like it's kind of fundamentally flawed? Um, I don't think there's hope for that any more than there is radical Islam. And I, and I think where, and I don't know if you might not agree with this, but I think where the fundamental flaw lies is in the belief that the Bible is inerrant and infallible to the point which we just can take any verse and um, every single thing does not need to be applied in any sort of context historically or as you know. Um, so, I mean, in the Old Testament, we could find plenty of examples of misogyny, genocide. Um, um, there's just a plethora of these verses that most Christians have never even considered, except the fundamentalists seem to gravitate towards and accept every single thing as law. And um, I don't see it changing because they're protecting themselves from any kind of outside influence. They can protect themselves for, from critical thinking, from logic, from reason. And even within my movement, I remember my pastor doing a sermon series on um, logic, why that was wrong, reason, you know, pragmatism. I'll never forget the sermon on pragmatism. You know, how the world, you know, world, the worldly the people, they think that if something works, that made it good. Right. <laughs> you know, at the time it didn't. I'm looking back on it, it's probably one of the sermons I remember the most because, you know, in my um, co coaching practice and my therapy practice, I'm picking uh, modalities and interventions because they work. Right. You know? um, and I don't care whether you can come up with a Bible verse as to whether or not that, you know, that because I'm not doing anything evil or harmful to my clients, I'm helping them to overcome anxiety, depression, so forth. And um, 
it's these sorts of mindsets and this ideology that is going to keep them locked in. And the pastor where I was at would even, uh, he didn't even like the internet. The internet is the death knell of fundamentalism. Right. Uh, because now you can't keep people in that community. We'll there. talk about other viewpoints. Yeah, you're going to see other viewpoints. You're going to get on Amazon and say, there's a book about what I'm going through. When you pick up that book, you're thinking, okay, this is how I need to, to, to think in order to heal my depression and anxiety. This is the opposite of what I'm being taught to think. So I can choose my anxiety and depression, or I can choose to think differently. And you're forced by your own personal pain. And I think and, and most people come out of fundamentalism are, are in a state of, of emotional and psychological pain, or they're watching their children, um, you know, suffer like I did. It was, it was a combination of both. Yeah. And I definitely see a lot of that. Like people I talk to, I see a lot of that kind of just the fear, the fear side is what just sticks with. And, you know, and like I said, me looking at it, there's such a weird contradiction of what's taught and what's said we believe and, and, what a blessed hope we have. And then on the flip side of that, like no one that I was around really exhibited that. And I know even for myself, it was just anxiety of like, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? And that, yeah. that essentially is going to the people who are, are human are going to burn out sooner rather than later. And then I think the people who are almost sociopaths are drawn to it and can thrive in it for a very long time. And I think that's responsible for a lot of the abuse that you see um, within that group. Um, so I, I think I think even though, you know, like you said, I think we're both on different journeys and trajectories, but I think that there's some obvious problems we can identify and, and look at and say, this isn't healthy. And I'm hoping, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this. I'm hoping people will start to identify that, not just, Hey, there's a lot of there's a lot of random occurrences that keep happening in this group, and start looking at and say, what is the what's the root of this? What are the seeds that have developed into this and have really just grown and developed over the last couple decades? Um, so I really appreciate that answer. Um, I know you have to I know you have to go because you have a call here in about four minutes, but um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for for sharing. Where can people find more information about you about your practice and uh, and obviously you have a Facebook group, but what's the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, yeah, um, you can reach me at my website, um, which is Tiffany with an I, capello.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook by the same name. And then my support group is called Former Fundamentalists. Um, and that's a great place to connect if you're coming out of fundamentalism and you need support. And we accept... Uh, Accept you no matter what you currently believe. Um, as long as you are not proselytizing, um, as long as you're not a fundamentalist trying to get into the group, we do screen people very well. Um, we've had some severely abused people and we protect them. So right. it's a safe place um, if you're willing to, you know, um, be kind basically <laughs> to everyone in that group. We're all on a journey, we're all learning. Um, so it's, it's, it's a, a wonderful supportive community that anyone is welcome to join um, and I'm happy to help anyone um, who's struggling to get out and just needs coaching, counsel, whatever. Um, I'm more than welcome to assist in that process. So, Perfect. 
Well, I'll definitely put all the links to that in the show notes so you guys can connect with Tiffany there. Um, Again, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.